Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Jason Dion with me. He is a cybersecurity expert and owner of his own business uh, with 23 employees in six different countries. It's pretty amazing. Often lives in Puerto Rico, currently is in Orlando. Jason, why don't you take it away? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to be here today to uh, talk with you and talk with your uh, audience about uh, working from home and, and some of the pitfalls that I see people run into. Uh, for us as a company, as you said, we've got 23 people right now on staff across six countries, um, and we are a remote first company. Um, just this year, we finally got an office building, and so some of us in Orlando, we will come into the office, but in general, almost everybody we have is work from home. Um, and, and we've seen you know, what works and what doesn't based on, on people and their personalities and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So I'm, I'm sure we'll talk all about that today. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what we're all about here. Um, would you say that since you now have the office in Orlando that you find yourself going there half the time, more than half the time, less than half the time? So me personally, um, I tend to go there uh, most work days now. Um, actually, today I'm in my home office right now, uh, which is why my lighting is not as good as normal. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be heading to the office right after we're done with this interview. Um, I tend to go there. Uh, for me, it helps me separate my work from home and give me a little bit more balance. I'm mm-hmm. sure you know this from working from home. Sometimes it's hard to turn it off at the end of the day. Um, and for me, having that office where I actually physically get in the car and drive to the office that kind of starts and ends my day a little bit more definitively. Um, in the past, I've done things like having my own home office. So that way it's at least going into a separate place and try to only use that during working hours and things. Um, but but I think it's one of the biggest problems we find with work from home is it's hard to shut off sometimes because it's always there. You're always at the office because your office is your home. But you're still re- remotely working with all of your employees, right? Yes. Yeah. So in the office, the only people who really go to the office on a daily basis is our executive team. So it's me, the CEO, uh, I'm the CEO, my COO, my chief operations officer, and then our other lead in, in the executive area. We all kind of get together at least a couple of times a week. Um, and then the rest of the team, all of our all of our workers, all of our employees and team members, they're able to work from home. Um, they're not required to come into the office. Yeah, I worked in a really similar situation to that when I was working for Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota. And we did have on-site location that originally everyone worked there. Uh, I got hired and just as they started letting people work remotely and they're still about half the team in the end, the only people that were on-site were um, the IT team, Uh, the people who were basically um, issuing the computers and bringing them in. And then if there were like power outages, people could come in to drop in stations. Uh, Do you have like a kind of a drop-in situation for some people exactly that's how we set up our office so in our offices it's it's a rather small office it's a small two-story building about 2,000 square feet the upstairs is all of our video production and sound booth studio so we've got two sound booths and a video production booth up there for us to do you know full green screen with lights and cameras and all that fun stuff and then downstairs we've got the three executive offices a break room a small bathroom a conference room a lobby and then there's an overflow room where we have five desks so like the last two weeks one of my instructors had flown in from Delaware where he lives and while he was there, he was working in the overflow office and then going upstairs when you need to record and then go back to the overflow. So essentially, we've got each of our overflow desks just set up with mouse, keyboard, and um, a, de- a, de- a desktop monitor, and they can just bring their laptops and plug Like right a in. docking kind of situation. Exactly. Makes it easy. <laughs> Is it a house? Is your office a house? No, we're in a condo park. Uh, so there's an office condo park here in Orlando that we we bought a unit in. Okay. Um, and uh, so up until this point, for the last five years, everything has been done like out of my house. 
Um, but as we've grown the company, uh, we decided we needed an actual studio because when people are flying into film, it's kind of weird to be like, hey, uh, yeah, come on, tramp through my living room. Let's go up to the office in the other room. Yeah. Uh, so having a, a dedicated space is kind of nice for that. <laughs> I have never had anyone come into my little recording studio here because I'm in my bedroom closet and oh. you would have to come <laughs> through my bedroom, through my bathroom into my closet and that's not going to ever happen <laughs> yeah so like, that kind of thing is makes it kind of awkward right so it's like well in those cases it helps to have a, an actual location to go to yeah um, but I mean that said like it, it, the setup we have there in the office is pretty much the same as what we had in my spare bedroom when I had it in my in my home office at least the studio it's all the same equipment and stuff so it's something that could be done from home we just decided to have a physical office so people aren't coming to my house <laughs> what kind of stuff are you recording it sounds like recording is a really big part of your business yeah so uh, at Dion training our big uh products we make are video recording so we make um courses on how to pass it exams and cybersecurity certification exams and project management exams so things like pmp and prince 2 and idle and security plus and all that kind of stuff and so everything we do is based around videos as kind of our primary way of teaching people so generally up until this point it was me on the screen and then i have a whole team that does the editing and the graphics and the publication and the marketing and all that uh, we've now expanded the team so we now have three instructors so it's me plus two others um and then the rest of the team still does all the other back-end stuff um so, so that's why video is such an important thing for us because it's always you know somebody on screen in front of a green screen teaching and then graphics and and things are popping up to tell them what they're learning and you have like a video editing team that's doing that too or are you guys manning yeah. all of the the post work yeah, so we have our own uh, full production studio. So we have uh, right now we have three editors, two quality assurance, three production assistants, uh, and then that's our production team. Then the other side of the business, we have our customer support team, and we've got you know four or five people there who answer emails, take phone calls, and chats, and all that stuff to support anybody who has questions. Um, and then the other part of our team is our instructor team, which works on writing scripts and practice exams and stuff like that. So it's kind of how we've broken up our company is into production, student support, and then the instructors. And are these, are you working with the contractors or are these employees? So they're all employees of the company. Uh, well, all, all of the uh, Americans are employees. All of the uh, international folks are contractors. Okay. Yeah. So it's a mix, but they are, they are treated as employees um, based on, you know, they basically get paid the same, treated the same, all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, for us, there's not really a distinction, except that the IRS makes a distinction. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to actually read your bio, probably, and as well as your, um, I asked in my guest interest form if you have any um, credentials or achievements or anything like that, and um, to just spare Jason from having <laughs> to say it all himself, I'm going <laughs> to do you a favor and just read it. So Jason is a formal naval officer and college professor who now works as the lead instructor and CEO of the Dion. Dion, help me out. Dion. 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 I told you I have a friend whose last name is Dion. Dion. <laughs> All right. Dion Training is a cybersecurity IT service management and project management certification training company that helps people upskill into knowledge worker roles so that they can work in an office at home or on the go. Jason has worked as a network engineer. Director of Network Operations and Security Center, and an Information Systems Officer for a large for large organizations around the globe. These days, he runs a remote first company with twenty three team uh, members and spread across six countries. But the other part is you just got to listen to this. Jason yeah. has multiple information technology professional certifications, including Certified Information System Security Professional. 
I don't know if I should say all the acronyms as well. <laughs> certified ethical hacker, which sounds really cool. Certified yeah. network defense architect, digital forensic examiner, digital media collector, CYSA plus, security plus, network plus, A plus, Prince two, practitioner, and ITIL. Yes. <laughs> and there's a master's of science degree in there in information technology with a specialization in information assurance. And so you often live in Puerto Rico with your wife and kids, but yeah. now you're in Orlando. So, all right, let's unpack some of this. You want to talk <laughs> about the part where you live first? Sure. Um, so we're actually in the middle of a transition. So uh, we, we were living down in Puerto Rico. That's where our company was headquartered. We're currently in the process of switching over. And in 2023, we'll be moving to Orlando full time with the company and, and with my family. So this year has kind of been, I've been kind of half and half as I've been going between the two. Um, but I do most of the work still in Puerto Rico. Um, and when I'm in Orlando right now, most of the time, it's just dealing with houses and kids and that kind of stuff as we're, as we're moving up and getting all the, the legal stuff that needs to be done to move the company from Puerto Rico to being a Florida company and all that, okay. that stuff. Um, so that's why we're kind of like in between both places right now, because it's just kind of a shift between the two. Um, when you were yeah. in Puerto Rico, is that when you had people coming into your home or is it a, the Orlando yeah. home? Or did you have two homes? No, so in, in, in uh, Puerto Rico is where they were, it was one of my spare bedrooms was turned into, we had one bedroom was an office, one bedroom was a studio, and then we had a bedroom for the kids and, and bedroom for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people, like when they would come in as instructors, we'd put them in a hotel down the street and then pick them up and bring them to the house every day. Uh -huh. This is just kind of awkward. So when we get back to America, we're like, we're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So what came first, naval officer or college professor? Naval officer. So, uh, so I joined the Navy back in 2002 after 9-11. Uh, I joined the, the U.S. Navy. I was a nuclear reactor operator for about four years. I uh, got my college degree done and I switched over to the officer side. Uh, when I switched to the officer side, I became a uh, what we call an information professional, which is basically a cybersecurity and IT officer. So I ran all the satellite farms and all the large networks at lots of different organizations around the world. And I did that for about 20 years. Um, at about my 12 to 13 year point, I wanted to uh, become a, a military professor. And um, at the Naval Academy, they have a program called PMP, uh, which is the Permanent Military Professor Program. And to be able to get selected for that, generally they want you to have teaching experience. So I went and got a, a side job uh, working nights and weekends at the local colleges and universities near me. Um, so I started becoming a college professor there, um, trying to move into this military college professor program. Ultimately, I never ended up going into the military college professor program. I stayed in just the, the civilian uh, side of things. Um, and when I moved positions from one place to another, I moved to a heavy travel position. So I couldn't teach uh, in person anymore for colleges because I was, you know, I wouldn't know if I was going to be there every Monday and Wednesday or things like that. So um, I switched to an online university for a while. And then I switched to teaching online through video using uh, sites like Udemy and LinkedIn Learning. Um, and that was kind of the birth of Dion Training. And we kind of started this as a, a side hustle, uh, thinking, hey, if I can get this up to like half my Navy pay when I retire, then I won't have to get a real J-O-B when I get out. Um, and instead, by the time, like within 12 months, I'd already like matched my Navy salary. And I started finding I just wasn't having enough hours. So I started hiring on other people to help me. And uh, for the first five years of the company, uh, it was, everybody was full-time except for me. I was the only part-timer. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of, kind of strange uh, that I was the one who owned the company. I was the only one who was half invested in it. Everybody else was fully invested in it. But uh, yeah, over the last five years, we've, we've grown from, you know, me doing everything myself to me and my wife, where she started doing all the video editing while I was on screen. Then we oh, started cool. hiring other assistants and other people. And we just kind of grew the team from there. We should have brought your wife in then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. So there's a lot there. Uh, Udemy, 
did that end up paying off? Cause I've looked at that before. <laughs> yeah. So for us, it works out really, really well. Um, the thing with Udemy is um, just like most things, right? If you want to self-publish on Amazon, right? There's some people who make really good money self-publishing a book on Amazon and other people, they self-publish a book and they make $10 a month, right? Uh, Udemy is much the same way. I would say that, you know, 50%, 60% of the people are probably making less than $50 a month. Um, so for those people, it's like, man, this sucks. I, I, not good at all. Um, and then there's some people who are making a, a decent wage, you know, two, five, ten thousand $10,000 a month, which, you know, again, is, is, good money. It can replace a full-time job. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's kind of that, that upper, you know, one or 2% that are making, you know, a million dollars plus a year. Um, and, and, you know, for us, we've, we've done pretty well with it uh, to the point where we've been able to hire on additional people and we work together and we have lots of courses on Udemy. Um, we've got about 35 courses, I think right now on Udemy. Um, and some of them do, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. Some of them do a couple thousand. I have one that does 10,000 plus per month. And so, um, you know, depending on your topic and, and the size of your reach, Udemy can really be useful. Um, but it, it can also be very difficult because there are 40,000 other instructors on there. And so, you know, right. why are they going to get your course versus somebody else's course? And there's some of that first mover advantage and things like that that go into it. And there's a few others that are similar. I think there's like Skillshare. Did you look into mm -hmm. that one too? Yeah. So I have friends who are on Skillshare, LinkedIn Learning, Pluralsight. There's a bunch of them out there. For me personally, um, I was on a bunch of different sites from 2018 to about 2019. And what we found was that Udemy paid us the best and was the best experience to work with. Um, and Udemy has a program called Udemy Business, which is their subscription program in addition to their marketplace. And if you're part of Udemy Business, you can't sell your stuff on other sites unless you own that site. So uh, what we did was we we have an exclusive with Udemy for Udemy Business. So we don't mm -hmm. sell on the other platforms anymore. And we've let our courses lapse on those other places. Sure. Um, but we only sell it now on Udemy or our site. And um, the way we've broken that up is Udemy is kind of our low price offering um, because they tend to have a very, you know, for those who don't know, Udemy is ten, tends to be $10, $15, $20 for a course. Um, and then on our site, we have our premium offerings, which take the Udemy videos and Udemy quizzes um, and add additional practice exams, hands-on labs, and the exam vouchers and textbooks. Um, and those sell for, you know, four, five, six hundred $600 per course. So it's a different offering, even though a lot of the content is the same. Um, and that model has worked out well for us so that we're not fighting Udemy because they can obviously outspend us on marketing. And so if I try to do like a Google keyword for Jason Dion Security Plus, uh, I'm going to be fighting Udemy for that. And they're going to, they can obviously outspend me. So uh, they're going to win the keyword, even though it's my own name. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like the trial version on Udemy and then like the full paid version on your site. It kind of, it, it's, it's not necessarily a trial version because it still is the full version. So the course on Udemy, for instance, for security plus, it's still 25 hours of video okay. um, and it comes with one practice exam, but on our site, it comes with the 25 hours of video. It comes with six practice exams, which have over 700 questions. It comes with a study guide. It comes with a textbook. It comes with uh, hands-on labs. Where you can go in and do things on the computer and get tested to make sure you know how to do the job. Uh, for instance, if it says, hey, let's reset a user's password, this will show you how to go into a Windows server and reset the password. And so it's a little bit more hands-on and in-depth uh, with our version. Um, everything, the Udemy version is enough to pass the exam, but our version takes that to the next level, helps you pass the exam and learn how to do the job in the marketplace. And are they trying to sit for an exam, um, like an external exam from yours? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So all the things we teach are for third-party certifications. Like so we do guides. a lot of stuff with uh, CompTIA and they do things like the A+, which is hardware and software, Network+, which is networking, Security+, 
which is intro, intro to cybersecurity. And once they pass that exam, they get that certified designator, just like you were reading at the beginning of the episode with all the different designations I have. Um, and that's only a partial list of all my designations. <laughs> um, but for each of those, you basically can get a textbook or a video course, you could study it, and then you take the official test. And once you pass that, you then get earn that certification. Got it. Are you finding that you're, I interviewed a gentleman a few months ago now, and I can't remember the name of his company off the top of my head. So I don't want to mess it up, but he, they train, um, they train people in it things like cloud server stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be sad if I can't remember his name now. Yellow, <laughs> oh dear. It's like yellowtail, I think like, like the wine, but not, okay. <laughs> and they, um, they find a lot of people that are just trying to get out of their, you know, old job looking for something that they could do from home. Like, you oh know, yeah, just- we, have, we have a huge amount of our students who come from that mentality, right? They're like, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing something and it's a physical job and I don't want to do that anymore. Right. Um, I had one person on our podcast. Uh, I think it was last week's episode uh, that we were talking to this guy, Mike uh, Hillman, who was a truck driver. And he decided that he didn't want to be a truck driver anymore because uh, he didn't want to be over the road and everything with with the pandemic and everything else that was going on. And so he took our courses, he got a certification, and now he works as a cybersecurity analyst and he does it as a work from home online. So his commute is from his bedroom to his office uh, <laughs> across the house. And, and he's able to do that from home no matter where. And he doesn't have to worry about you know getting sick and, and being exposed to you know viruses and other people and horrible drivers that cut people off in trucks and all that fun stuff. So dangerous, <laughs> yeah. Um, and like he, this other gentleman was saying like teachers and nurses and everybody. So like, are you seeing like a really wide variety of people? You said a truck driver. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's one of the things is that that always amazes me is where people come from when we start talking with our students Mm -hmm. and what their previous careers were. Um, so one of the things that we really focus on is helping people make the transition into uh, a new cybersecurity career because getting the first job is really the hardest part. Um, in the cybersecurity world, there are no real entry level jobs. Um, so you really have to come from some other place first. Um, and usually it comes from an IT realm, but there's other ways you can do it too. Uh, for example, we had one uh, person, one of our students, Michelle, she had a master's in marketing. She was a marketing person and she'd done that for 15 years. She was getting kind of tired of it, but she didn't want to start all the way over at the beginning as working at like the help desk for, you know, $8 an hour, or $10 an hour. Yeah. And so what we helped her do was basically a lateral transfer. So at her current paid band, um, but into a relevant job that was touching the cybersecurity industry. So nobody wanted to hire her initially as a technical person because she didn't have a background to say, hey, I've done this in my, in my other jobs. Um, but what she was able to do was get a job doing cybersecurity awareness and cybersecurity training at a large company. And over the next six to 12 months, they're training her into one of the more technical positions that she really wanted to be in. But she's able to use her marketing and communication skills to be able to get that job and, and do this kind of two, two-way transfer, right? You goes into the first job, do that for six to 12 months, and then she can be in the more technical job that she was really looking at. And the benefit of doing that instead of starting in a more technical job at a junior level was that she was able to keep her current pay, which was, you know, up in the you know, 50, 60, $70,000 per year instead of $8 per hour working at a help desk. And so a lot of times you can do those type of things. I see a lot of people when they come from a, a traditional job into a work from home job, they will just try to take the same job they were doing and do it in a work from home manner. Um, and that works fine sometimes. And a lot of times that can be a great way to start your own freelance or side hustle. Uh, you know, if you're a graphic designer, you can you know go start being a graphic designer from home, right? Uh, if you're a video, video production person, you can do the same thing from home. Uh, but some jobs just don't translate to doing it from home. If you were a nurse or a doctor, you kind of have to be there with your patient, right? <laughs> um, there's a little bit of work from home with, with remote video calls and things like that these days, but most of that is gonna be in person or you know, a traditional 
high school teacher. They have to go into the classroom every day. Uh, it's a little harder to do that from, from online. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and I, I do find that some people, when they think of, I'm on a few of the big groups in like say Facebook about, you know, remote work and almost all of them are call centers. And yeah. it's a little bit, you know, maybe concerning to me that people don't realize how vast, you know, the opportunities really are. Like, yeah, I think that's kind of the the first one that went online for work from home jobs was call centers. Yeah. And it was because it was super easy to do, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think back to my own mother and she used to work for uh, Carnival Cruise Lines as mm -hmm. a travel agent. So if you called up, you know, 1-800-CARNIVAL or whatever it was, you'd get her and she'd try to sell you a cruise. And she used to do that in a big office building down in Miami. And then mm -hmm. she they moved her to a work from home position back in like 2006 or 2007. Um, mm -hmm. And literally it was they shipped her a computer with a phone and said, plug this into your high speed internet. And the phone can ring there just as easily as it could in the office in Miami. And so people could work from home very easily doing those call center type jobs. Uh, what I've seen in the last two years, especially because of the pandemic, is this, this rapid movement towards work from home. And you know, most of us don't want to go back to a regular office anymore. Uh, I'm kind of the unusual person that I actually wanted to go to an office. Um, but because of that, you know, a lot of jobs have started making it that you can work from home or you could do a hybrid where you know you come in once a week, but the other four days you can work from home and things like that. Um, and, and the technology is there nowadays that you can do almost probably 90% of the jobs out there from home. There's, there's only a few that you really can. I mean, if you're going to work in an Amazon warehouse, pulling parts, you kind of have to be at the warehouse. <laughs> right, right. I know when I worked at Mayo Clinic, they didn't allow, I mean, I know that there were other like medical transcription companies that were doing remote work years, like maybe even a decade before we were, um, in 2008, they finally finished a pilot where they felt like they had it secure enough. And so that kind of comes into what you do. They needed patient confidentiality and they yeah. did require us to work from a home office that was connected to ethernet. We had to sit in our office that was designated, you know, for our workspace. And we had to have two egresses and all the different things. It wasn't like just drag your laptop around the house. You couldn't do that or go to uh, any kind of coffee shop. Um, so work from home has lots of different faces, I think, but so, the, and, and, the, and, and, you know, that's a great point because you were dealing with a very highly regulated industry as well, right? Because mm -hmm. you were working, uh, in, in healthcare and healthcare mm -hmm. has rules such as HIPAA. Uh, and if you're not following those HIPAA rules, you can get fined or shut down. Mm -hmm. And so it's not it, from a technology standpoint, it's really easy to say, here's a laptop, go home and work. But the data on that laptop now has patient social security numbers because that's what you bill them for insurance. It's got their names, their birth date, their medical conditions, all that private information. And that's really what you have to be concerned with is how do you protect that? And what a lot of companies are doing now is they're not actually letting you access the data at home. Uh, like it's not on your actual computer. It's just a, a VPN tunnel web browser. Mm -hmm. You're actually connecting to a virtual computer that's sitting at the Mayo Clinic, for instance, right? Even yep. though I'm sitting at home and the computer I'm using is actually the one in the office, not the one at my house. My one at my house is just to connect to that one. Yep. And that's one of the ways they overcome some of those security issues. And we, over the course of the 10 years that I was doing that with them, we went through a few different iterations. You know, there were originally one kind of computer and then eventually it was VPN. And then later yeah. there was like, oh, I can't remember what they call them. They were like little thin computers, thin clients yeah. that would connect. Thin clients, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just like every year, year or two, they'd just send us all different, you know, we'd have to do trainings and everything. But yeah, they, they were training us to, you know, even when you're in your own home office, you still have to lock your computer, yeah. um, you know, just the screen, you have to, all of the things you can't just leave it running because even, you know, if there was an, an emergency and other people had to come into your home, you don't want them to see the private information on your screen. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, with what we do with the certification exams, um, when the students want to go take their exam, they're able to do that from home and from their home office. 
Whereas back in 2020 and before, you couldn't do that. You had to go to a testing center because of the fact they were worried about somebody had to watch you and make sure you weren't cheating and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and the way they've done that is they've built the software now so that when you load up the exam software, it creates a secure tunnel between your computer and the testing center. They can then see through your webcam who else is in the room. You have to actually take your laptop and spin around in a circle and say, there's nothing on the wall. Like, you know, I, I'm looking at you right now. You can see behind me, but you can't see what's on that wall. And mm-hmm. so I can have all my notes up there to cheat True. on the exam. So they make you go and show them the entire room um, and all those type of things that, you know, they're, they're overcoming the security concerns, but still allowing people to do it from home. Uh, even in these things that were never allowed to be at home. And, you know, coming from the military, we were never a work from home uh, place, right? The military was, you always had to go to the office, but mm-hmm. COVID changed that. And they got to the point where it's like, okay, we started splitting up teams into, you know, A teams and B teams and the A teams would work from home this week while the B teams were in the office. And then mm-hmm. we would swap the next week. Sounds um, like school. Sounds yeah. like what they did with a lot of schools. And, and, and because of that, they've come up with all these different technology solutions that didn't exist because the military was always a, everything was sitting in their network at the office or on base. And, and to allow people to go home with it was was very strange and, and a big culture shift for them. And I think that's one of the things with work from home, especially with larger companies, is if they're not used to doing it and they don't know how to support it, um, it, it can be a very, very difficult thing from a, from a cultural perspective. Uh, yeah. Well, military and healthcare both have security you yes. know, on the forefront. So uh, are you still connected to the military in any way? No, I'm retired now. So I, I don't work with them directly. We, we have a couple of contracts with some of the different services to provide some training here and there for different parts of the military um, for them to get their certification exams, but not directly. Um, like we don't work directly for them anymore. <laughs> and you typically work with civilians. Do the certifications that you help people train for also apply to the military jobs? They do. Yeah. One of the biggest consumers of our of our courses and the certifications we teach is the military because oh. there's a thing called the DOD 8570, which says that anybody who works in IT in the military has to be certified with the equivalent civilian certification to the level of job. So if you're working as an IT administrator, you have to have your security plus. If you're working as a network administrator, you must have your network plus or your CCNA. If you're a cybersecurity person, you must have your CEH or CYSA. Uh, and those are all things we teach, right? So a lot of times the military will come to us and buy our courses for their students um, because we teach things they already need. Earlier, you said something about, I think you had a student named Michelle who yeah. you helped and you helped her get through the hoops to get into a same level pay job. What was it outside of the training that she did with you that helped her do that? Like, yeah, so um, her through that. Yeah, so one of the programs that we have is called uh, Your Cyberpath Pro, uh, and that's based on our podcast, which is Your Cyberpath. And Your Cyberpath Pro is a membership um, that we we sign people up for. It's a, a one year program that includes mentorship. Uh, we cover them, cover everything with them in terms of cybersecurity, from picking the right job based on your personality and your disc profile and things like that, uh, finding jobs in your area that are going to be worthwhile for you, helping you with your resumes, helping you with your interviews, helping you with your negotiations, and then helping you be successful for your first you know, six to nine months of the job to make sure you're ready to get the next promotion. Um, and so that was the program that Michelle was in. Um, and we worked with her uh, through, through that whole thing, which was great. Um, and we've had about 100 students go through that program. Um, and that can be found at yourcyberpath.com is, is our podcast where we give all the free advice and stuff on, on the career side of it. And then we also have that, that upsell into the, the membership program. Um, and the reason why we have that as, as, a, as a separate paid program is because, you know, I, I currently on my Dion training side have over a million students. Um, and I just don't have enough time as one person to be able to answer all of their 
questions in career coaching and, and helping them with resumes and interviews and all that. So we created this program as a way uh, between me and, and my co-instructor. Uh, both of us have been hiring managers for decades to help people understand what the hiring process looks like from the other side of the table so they can get through the auto applicant tracking system, which is ATS and how to write your resume and all that kind of stuff that a lot of people just never know how to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So for a price, you can get that coaching. Yes. <laughs> and is it just the two of you that are offering that? Yeah. So right now there's just the two of us. Um, and that's why we keep it very limited on the number of people that we can let roll into the program. And so as people graduate out, then we bring in new people. So our next cohort for that will be launching in um, January is when we're going to be opening up enrollments again as we start aging out last year's uh, candidates. Um, because, because again, we keep it very small specifically because there is just two of us and we don't want to just hire an assistant to help you. We want somebody who knows what they're doing. And so the people you're, the people that you're working with in this program are people who normally make, you know, $300 an hour as a virtual CIO, for instance, right? Uh, my, my partner, you know, that's what he does for a living. And so we we have to have it at this program at, at a higher price to minimize the number of people and maximize the amount of time that we can spend with each individual. Yeah. And you mentioned that it is a cohort. So you've got several people going through. Are the people that are joining the this business development side or whatever you're calling it, the coaching yeah. side, um, have they already completed certifications or do they join that from the beginning where they're just getting started to have like guidance? It, it depends on the person. So the majority of them have some certifications, but they may not have the right certifications. And that's the other challenge, right? So the way we've designed the program is that when you sign up, uh, the first thing you do is you go through about three uh, lessons of videos uh, to help you figure out what different jobs are out there. Because a lot of people think cybersecurity and the first thing they think of is hacker on a keyboard, you know, the guy in the hoodie in, in the movies, right? Uh, and that's actually, that role is called a penetration tester. Um, that role exists, but it's only one role in cybersecurity. There's 39 other roles. Um, and so most people, that's what they think of. And they don't think about all these other roles that exist. And so, um, you know, as we've worked with students uh, in the first cohort, we started finding that like, people like, oh yeah, I want to be a penetration tester. And we start talking with them and their personality and their past and, and the way that they like to work None of that lines up with being a penetration tester. We're like, maybe you should be an IT auditor instead. And here's why. Um, and so that's why we designed the program now where we kind of introduce them to a bunch of the different uh, jobs that exist in this world. And then the first thing we do is they meet with either myself or my partner, Kip, and we do a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with them to walk through what their background is, where they're trying to go, and basically map out, hey, here's the next you know, 12 months of your life. And you, know, you have these certifications, but you're missing these certifications, or you have these skills, but you're missing these other skills. Um, and based on the job you want, because there's not one set of certifications that works for every job, um, you, you basically have to figure out what it is you want to do, and then you can fill in your path of what are the things I need to do to get there. Uh, and so that's what we help them with as we move through, and then we step with them through the whole process to help them get hired and get them moved in. And that personality thing that you're talking about, is that part of your coaching program or is that something that you do at a baseline with all of your students? So that's something we only do in the coaching program because, again, that requires an one-on-one, uh, basically a one-on-one -on -one interview call between us and them. So that's usually, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And with a million students, I just don't have enough time to do it for everybody. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So what kind of personality does work well with these kind of cybersecurity jobs? Or can you see out of the 40 different positions running the full gamut of all the personalities. Yeah, it really does, right? So, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, I've had a lot of students who come from the accounting and bookkeeping world, right? And okay. accountants and bookkeepers tend to be very detail-oriented, very checklist-oriented, and they like just, hey, give me the procedure and I will run down the list, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is a perfect personality, not for a penetration tester, but for an IT auditor. Okay. IT auditing is basically IT bookkeeping. We're going in and making sure you have your password uh 
configuration set properly and, and all your registries are set properly and that you've gotten all your security patches. And it's essentially a long checklist. So if I have a new server, there may be 3,000 things I need to do to make sure it's secure. And the IT auditor comes in and makes sure I did all 3,000 of them and, and check the box, right? Um, on the other hand, if you're somebody who likes to communicate a lot and be around people, um, you might make a really good social engineering person uh, because you're very communicative, communicative and you like talking on the phone and you like trying to get information out of people. Um, whereas like my wife, she is not that way. She doesn't want to call anybody. If you're not texting her, she's not answering the phone. Um, so she'd be horrible in that job, right? <laughs> and so those are the kind of things you have to figure out based on your personality and, and you know what your background is that you may be able to leverage. Um, you know, one of the things that we really focus on, especially in the career coaching program is we don't take people who are brand new. So, and what I mean by that is like, if you just got out of high school and you're like, Hey, I'm 18 years old. I got my high school diploma. I want to join your career coaching program. We're going to tell you no, because we can't help you. Um, we need you to have at least some workplace experience doing something. And I don't care what that thing is. It can be accounting, bookkeeping, marketing, whatever. But if you have some job in the past and you've done that for at least a couple of years, we can help you land a higher level cybersecurity job, being able to basically lateral transfer in by identifying your, your transferable skills and then finding the right position for you based on those skills. But if you're coming straight out of high school, you don't have any transferable skills yet because you've not done anything in your life yet, right? Uh, and so that becomes a little, a little bit more of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then you got people like me who just like to talk to people and ask questions. So how does that social engineering role fit into cybersecurity? That part I was... Yeah, so a uh, social engineer um, is one of the things that we do inside of pen testing. So generally when we do pen testing, we are trying to break into an organization to find out what their weaknesses are. So oh, if you right, think about right. um, your house, right? You have your house, you have you know locks on your doors, you lock your windows, you've got little security cameras, you may have a ring system or whatever, right? You may hire some burglars to try to break in your house. And if they're able to, they'd say, okay, now that I broke in your house, I did it because I broke in because you didn't have a grate over your chimney. I was able to come down the chimney like Santa Claus, Ooh, right? Whatever it is, yeah. right? Um, part of that from the social engineering part is trying to get people to do what you want. Uh, and in an office environment, that may be getting somebody to let you use their badge to swipe in and get past the security gates, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it may be asking them questions, getting information about their systems. So you can use that and pass that over to the technical hackers who are going to be able to, to break into it. Um, for example, one of the common things is they'll call up and try to get the receptionist and say, hey, I'm from the ink and toner supply company, can you go and tell me what model printer you have uh, so I can make sure I get you the right toner? And they go over and they say, oh, I have an HP123. You're like, okay, great. Uh, can you go over and tell me what the IP address is? Just click here and tell me what that is. And once you give them that IP address and the model number, there is so much bad stuff we can do to you with that information uh, to break into your network. And so a lot of times we'll use social engineers to get the information we need to make the technical part a lot easier for us. Right. Okay. So I've always thought of social engineering as the bad guys. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like the people are like, oh, can you just change my seat number on my flight? You know, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, they, you give the name and then they get all the information. Um, so to use it for good, <laughs> that's like yes. the whole, yeah, that's, that's the whole part. thing. Like everything we do as penetration testers, it's the exact same things the bad guy does. The only yeah. difference is we do it with permission, uh, because the company invites us in. And at the end we give them a report and say, here's all the bad things we did. And here's how we were able to do them. So you can go fix it and prevent the bad guys from doing the same thing to you. And you train them in, the bad guy can break in too. <laughs> uh, okay. So you train them and then how to fix those problems. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole role of like penetration testers. And as a penetration tester, we have network-based penetration testers, system-based penetration testers, people-based penetration testers, which we call social engineering and things like that. And so the team will usually have three to five people as we go on an engagement to break into a large company like the Mayo Health Clinic or John Hopkins University or something like that. And out of these 40 roles that you mentioned about how many of um, these are you certifying for? 
So uh, we cover probably about 25 of those different roles because um, a lot of them have overlapping certifications. Uh, for okay. instance, Security Plus is kind of the entry for almost all cybersecurity roles. It's kind of like the foundation. Um, so pretty much all 40 use that role. And then okay. some of them have additional roles like CEH or CNDA or things like that, depending on the role you're doing and, and how technical or non-technical it is. We'll talk a little bit about how the pandemic and all the lockdowns and the super huge fast drive to work from home has changed yeah. cybersecurity. Oh yeah, it's it's a hugely uh, vulnerable environment that we've created, right? So uh, one of the things that we do when we move into a work from home area from a, from a business perspective is what we're doing is we're doing what's called deperimeterization. Um, that's a really big word to say we are removing the perimeter of our network. In the old days, the, the philosophy was, if you think about like a military base, um, you know, or even an airport probably a good example everybody knows, right? You go to the airport, you got to go through security checkpoints, right? And then you go through, you know, the TSA checkpoint, you go through the, the, the gate at the to get on the plane, and there's all these different checkpoints, and those are all different perimeters. Well, in the old networks, that's what we did. We basically had, you know, a fence around the building, we had firewalls to keep people out, and we could protect everything as long as it was in the building. But as soon as I gave you your laptop and you plugged it in at home, we have now deperimeterized you and we've moved you outside of our protected fence area, right? Uh, our logical fence, which we call a firewall. And so that requires a lot of change in the way that we do the technologies to protect those devices and keep them still part of the consolidated environment. Um, we all carry, you know, smartphones with us nowadays, right? Uh, and, and all those smartphones are another extension of our network. When we have a laptop and we're sitting in the coffee shop, like you mentioned earlier, that's an extension of your network. And so as you're connecting to other networks, uh, whether it's cellular or Wi-Fi in a coffee shop, you are now more vulnerable because there could be bad guys there that you're not knowing. Uh, for instance, you never want to connect to coffee shop Wi-Fi. You should always use your own hotspot on your mobile phone because when it says Starbucks Wi-Fi, you don't know if that's actually Starbucks's Wi-Fi or if it's me sitting with my laptop in the back collecting all your information as a bad guy, right? Um, so, so those are the kind of things we have to think about. And this depermanization has created a lot of challenges for companies because especially at the beginning of the pandemic, we were sending everybody home and we're like, crap, we need to do this and do it now. Just grab a laptop, throw it at a person and send them home so they can work. And it was a very unsecure method. Now that we're two years into it, most of us, most companies have gone through and read out our procedures. We've set up VPNs. We've we've added you know home offices, like you mentioned, where we can let you tunnel into our network and give you protections um, to be able to overcome some of that. And, and, and because of that, you know, it has made the cybersecurity as a lot of other jobs are slowing down right now, cybersecurity are still hiring like crazy because there's still just so many jobs out there that they can't fill. <laughs> right, right. I interviewed a guy, he's actually a, a friend of mine from college, Sean Riley. Um, he worked for the government and they just were like pushing people that had never worked from home before. Yeah. You know, they had two days to push them out the door with all the stuff that they needed. So um, what kind of, uh, I don't know, do you want to give an example of like some of the bad things that have happened that you guys have had to clean up in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, um, so a lot of the, the typical things that we have in the office environment, uh, we have the same things out in town. Um, probably the biggest issue that we've had when we went with work from home is a lot of people who would work from coffee shops, right? Um, you know, hey, I just got to get out of the house and I, I want to do something else. And at the beginning of the pandemic wasn't as big of an issue because everybody was still in lockdown. But as we started opening up, people were like, well, I'm still going to work from home, but I'm going to work from the coffee shop down the street. From the unsecure yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah, for the unsecure Wi-Fi, right? Because again, <laughs> the problem is it's not people like you and I who know what we're talking about that are the problem. It's all of the other employees, right? And you think about the government workforce, you mentioned the government, the government workforce tends to be about 20 years older than most corporate workforces mm. um, because people tend to stay with the government longer because of their pensions and things like that. Mm. And so what I've noticed when I worked in the government was when I looked around, most people around me were 
40 to 60, not 20 to 40, like most corporations. Um, and so when you take this older 40 to 60 year old workforce and they don't work in technical roles normally, maybe they're a receptionist or I don't know, whatever whatever other job they may have, a bookkeeper, whatever it is. Um, and you said, okay, now go home and do this. And they don't have IT there helping them uh, to keep secure. There's a lot more vulnerability. So things like phishing campaigns, um, smishing campaigns, which are text message campaigns, phishing campaigns or email campaigns, mm -hmm. where people click a link. Um, I'm sure you get like 20 of these a day on your yeah. phone, like click here, your Amazon package is being redelivered and you click on it, that's actually stealing your information, right? Um, all those kind of things that affect your corporate workstations too when people are working from home. Right, the um, Mail Clinic was pretty good about the phishing campaigns to help us learn how to spot them and, you know, good job, you helped, you know, prevent, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, you know, it, it teaches you to be suspicious of everything. When I interviewed Dan Wheeler, the internet, you know, the email security guy, he talked a lot about, you know, how much safer using Ethernet is compared to even just your home Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. That yeah, I mean, anytime you're using wired over wireless, it has a more inherent security than a wireless network because wireless can be tapped into from other places. Um, for instance, one of the things we used to have a course on Wi-Fi hacking, which literally taught you how to sit next to your neighbor's house and, and collect their data. Um, and you can decrypt it and then see what, what's in it, right? How are you um, using this for good? <laughs> Well, yeah, again, that's one of the things we do with penetration testers is we have to break into the network. And the idea is break in any way you can. And so one of the easiest ways is Wi-Fi if they have it. Um, so one of the things we used to do was we would drive around the corporate building you're, you're testing. And we have a large antenna. We'd point at the building and see if we could pick up the Wi-Fi. And so companies have to be aware of this. Uh, and make sure that they keep their Wi-Fi signals inside of the building and not allow them to spread out. So if you ever lived in an apartment complex and you turn on your Wi-Fi and you're looking for a network, you see there's 30 networks It's because everybody's right close to you with all these different repeaters. Um, that's really vulnerable because I can connect to any of those repeaters and capture their traffic. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we talked about what kind of personality pretty much anybody could go into this. Yeah. Um, and you don't want anybody that's straight out of high school. You need them to have some work experience. Have you had any anyone young who did have early work experience? You know, like my son started taking coding classes when he was like eight, nine years old. Yep. Do you have any of the people that had like teenage jobs? So I, I, we have a couple uh, in our company. We also have uh, an internship program that we work with a couple of local uh, high schools here in Orlando. So over the summer, we bring in uh, some high school students that are usually 15, 16, 17 years old, mm -hmm. and they work with us either as developers or video production or things like that to gain some of the skills. So it's the same thing you're talking about, like getting some kind of skill. And so like I think about those people, and if they're trying to get a cybersecurity job when they graduate high school, they're already going to have two summers worth of experience of doing video production for cybersecurity courses or mm -hmm. programming for cybersecurity courses and things like that. We can then leverage that and help them work their resume to highlight those skills that they've learned there. Um, and, and really a lot of it is finding the right keywords and the right skills you can highlight that are transferable to the job you're trying to go into. Um, so, you know, again, you know, if I was working when I was uh, 16, I was working at Whole Foods Market as a grocery guy, you know, putting putting boxes on the shelf. Yep. It's kind of hard to say that has cybersecurity ties, right? But if I was working, um, you know, even as a cashier, there's things you do as a cashier that do tie into cybersecurity because you're working on an IT system, you're dealing with security, you're dealing with money, uh, you're dealing with auditing at the end of at the end of every shift to make sure that the receipts total that you had and the money in your drawer actually matches up. And there's things that you can highlight and, and bring those into a, a cybersecurity position as well. I want you to speak to the people who are sitting here listening to this right now who might just be 18 years old and they maybe found this uh, podcast on a Google search or something like that. Yeah. Um, if you're going to give advice to someone who wants to enter the cybersecurity workforce in, say, four years, give them four years to get through some college yeah. or is college even necessary? 
Not necessary. So it used to be that, you know, college wasn't necessary. Then we went through a period where college was most definitely required. Now we're in this period where some companies care, some don't. Uh, there's a lot of tech companies that are moving away from the four-year college degree because there's such a backlash against that um, because college is stupid expensive and it's holding out people that could be doing a good job. And, mm -hmm. and the weird thing is with the cybersecurity world, our stuff changes so fast that by the time you go through four years of college, uh, what you learned is already becoming obsolete. Um, so it, it's it's one of those things that certifications hold a lot more weight in our world than college degrees. Uh, there's a certain ceiling where you'll get to and you won't be able to make manager or executive unless you have a bachelor's degree or a ma master's degree. But you can make $100,000 a year in cybersecurity without having a college degree. Uh, it's when you want to get to that 200000 and beyond mark, that's when they start looking for college degrees as you move up the scale. Okay, so definitely 18 year olds should be listening to you right now. So keep talking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, at, you know, as an 18 year old, really, um, if you're starting out brand new and you're interested in cybersecurity, the easiest and best way to get into cybersecurity is to start getting some system administration skills under your belt. So take a job at a help desk or as a field service technician. That's where you'll be working on somebody's desktop computers, laptop computers, uh, mobile phones, smartphones, tablets. Uh, you could work on network administration side where you're working on the routers and switches of the network. Either of those are what we call feeder pipelines into cybersecurity. And so you'll go from doing one of those jobs for about a year or two. That is enough time to show, hey, I can do a job that's technical. Uh, I can succeed in a job that's technical. And now people will be interested in hiring you on into an entry level uh, cybersecurity analyst role. And those roles tend to pay right around seventy dollars to $80,000 a year generally in the U.S., um, so that's a pretty good job two years out of high school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then uh, could they be working on some of these certifications in the meantime? Yes. Yeah. So these certifications, like as you're starting out, you know, the, really the first three that you want to get if you're brand new is the CompTIA uh, A+, CompTIA Network+, Plus, and CompTIA Security+, Plus certifications. Uh, A+, Plus focuses on hardware and software. Network+, Plus focuses on networks. And Security Plus focuses obviously on security, but having those three, it gives you a really good foundation across all of IT, both the endpoints that people are using on a daily basis, as well as the backend systems and servers that we use to run all these things. Um, and if you have those three certifications plus a year of help desk experience, you will have no problem moving into a cybersecurity role, uh, making a lot more money because help desk usually pays $10, $15 an hour. It's not great. A lot of it is work from home because it is uh, basically answering phone calls all day. Um, but getting that under your belt for you know six months or a year and then be able to move up to a, a better position is really going to pay off for you. What are some uh, security measures that you've taken for your own home office and your own office? Yeah, so you know the 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 two biggest pieces of advice I can give you for securing your own home office is make sure your firewall is enabled. Uh, thankfully, for most of us home office users, uh, we get a built-in firewall modem from our cable provider or our fiber provider, um, and those do a pretty good job of keeping most of the bad stuff out. If you have Verizon, AT and T, Comcast, Spectrum, uh, Roadrunner, any of those big companies, they do a pretty good job of trying to keep you protected. Um, the other biggest thing that you really need to do is make sure you are updating your software. So if you are one of those people when Windows says, I have an update and you say, remind me later, um, don't do that. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> I think um, I did that for like several years. <laughs> yes, like that, that makes you very vulnerable. And the reason it makes you vulnerable is that, you know, Microsoft, for example, every Tuesday they put out any security patches they have. We call this Patch Tuesday. But as soon as they put out that patch and say, here's the patch you need to patch because there's a problem in your system. If you don't do it, the bad guys are taking that patch, they're reverse engineering it to figure out what is the vulnerability that Microsoft is trying to patch up so we know what the hole is, and then we can figure out exploits for it. So generally, if Microsoft comes out with a patch on Tuesday, by Wednesday or Thursday, bad guys already have a way to exploit that vulnerability. 
So most of the time when bad guys are getting into your network, it's not because they did some kind of crazy hack. It's because you didn't patch the software and there's a hole in your boat and the water is coming in and you know that and they're just coming in with the water, right? Um, and so really, if you if you make sure your systems are patched and secured, that is going to do 99% of your, your benefit for you. Because if you're using Windows, Windows 10, Windows 11, they both come automatically with uh, Windows Defender, which is antivirus, anti-malware, anti-ransomware stuff on there. Um, so as long as you are using that and you're patching your system, you're, you're going to be pretty safe for the most part. And then I'm a Mac user. So I've always just kind of felt like I'm secure. <laughs> so Mac tends to be more secure than Windows, not because it's a better operating system, because I'm a Mac user as well. Like everything in my offices is Mac because we do a lot of video production. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, the reason Mac is more secure um, is only statistically because they say, oh, look, you know, there's there's 10 hacks for Windows for every one Mac hack, right? And it's like, well, yeah, there's also 10 Windows users for every one Mac user. So ah. it, it, it's equivalent, right? Um, it's the same thing with like Linux. People say, oh, Linux is so secure. It's like, well, yes, if you patch it, if you keep it up to date, um, and it's really more secure only because of the fact that there's less end users on it. Um, so that, that's kind of where you, you end up seeing that. And really the big, the big thing is for us as Mac users, we tend to be a little safer only because when people are spending the time to write a virus or malware, they're writing it for the most amount of users, right? And so if I was going to make a, an attack and I'm going to spend all that time doing it, I want to go after the 90% of the users, which is Windows, not the 10%, which is Mac. Uh, it's just like if you're going to build some vulnerability for a car, if you were smart, you'd build that vulnerability for gas engines these days because there's still 90% of the cars are gas engines, not electrics. Uh, and so it's really, it's that 90-10 split of where you spend your time. Well, let's just kind of start to wrap up here. We got a few sure. things to still cover. I wanted to hear a little bit more about your own, um, the way that you communicate with your team of 23 across six countries. Yes. Yeah, um, so you're working across time zones and obviously you're asynchronous in some ways. Yeah, so mostly we're asynchronous. So on a daily basis, most people can work when they want, uh, where they want and when they want. We don't tell them what hours they need to be there. So we don't say you have to be there from nine to five because most of the stuff we do can be done at any time of the day or night. Mm -hmm. uh, if I was in more of a traditional call center type situation, then yeah, we would need a nine to five you know, schedule for people around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons we chose to have people around the world is, especially for our customer support team, if everybody was here in America, we would have to have people working at you know three in the morning because we have students in India and and, and Pakistan and Japan and China oh. and everywhere else, right? right? So we have students in 200 countries around the world. So by us having our customer support team spread out between Puerto Rico, Egypt, and the Philippines, no matter what time, if those people are working in their daytime hours, we have coverage for, yeah. for anybody calling us no matter what, what time of the day or night it is. So that works out really well. Um, the majority of our, our communication we use is on Slack, and that's what we use for asynchronous communication. Uh, Slack does a really good job allowing you to build up different channels, and you can do direct messaging and all the different integrations it has. So I think most of your audience probably has used Slack or, or will use Slack if they're doing a lot of work from home with, with other people. Um, you could similarly use things like Microsoft Teams uh, or Google Meets. Um, we do use Google Workspace for our main collaboration. So that's our storage drive, our email, and things like that but we still use Slack because we find it has a better interface for uh, chat type communication. Um, yeah, I yeah, feel like I you know, used like an earlier uh, version of, of Skype in the in the day. So it was Slack like yeah. a very new version of yeah, the messenger so, system. 
So it does the direct messaging, just like you would get with like Teams or Slack uh, or, or sorry, Skype. Skype kind of mm -hmm. became into Teams. It got rolled in by Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to having like one-to-one -one chats where you and I can chat, we can also have group chats around different topics with different permissions. So in our, our groups, we have, you know, an executive group that's just, you know, the C-suite people. We have another group that's just the customer support people, another people that's the, our web development team, another one that's for our instructors. And then we can also do individual direct-to-direct -direct, uh, contact as well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of... Uh, uh, Skype on steroids. <laughs> is there any kind of project management type stuff built into that? Or do you have to use something separate for that then? So there's some minor project management stuff built into it, but not really. It's mostly a collaboration tool for sharing files and um, direct communication. You can do that video, audio, or text. Um, for us, for project management, we use ClickUp. Uh, we used to use Asana, but I found Asana was um, quite expensive, especially as you grew your team. Worked really well with a couple of users. Once we got to 20 plus users, it was starting to cost us several hundred dollars per month. Mm -hmm. um, so we we moved over to ClickUp, which was about half the cost and double the features. Uh, we've been pretty happy with that. So it works really well. Um, both of those tools do have a free version also, but mm -hmm. they're always really smart about, you know, keeping the things you need, like the paid tier. So we ended up having to go into the paid tier anyway, <laughs> Of course, <laughs> right? especially as you have like a larger team, like the paid tier starts making sense. Um, and then the one thing that we do do synchronously is every Monday morning, we do our Monday morning staff meeting with everybody around the world. So we do that 9am Eastern time on Monday. Um, and again, we've got people all across the U.S. So we've got people in California and Washington. So for them, it's six in the morning, which mm -hmm. sucks. Mm -hmm. um, our folks in the Philippines, it's like 10 at night right now because mm -hmm. of daylight savings. So it kind of sucks for them. Um, but we kind of make it work. And that was what we found to be the best time as we tried to sync everybody around the world. And basically, when people get hired on, we say, hey, you know, we, we do asynchronous for 99% of your stuff, but we do expect you to be here on Monday mornings for the staff meeting. And, and, and most people are okay with that. Um, it's mm -hmm. kind of the, 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 the one thing they got to kind of give up in their schedule being that they are working for this remote company we, we do want everybody to sync up at least once a week <laughs> and is it just like for an hour or is it just like announcement yeah generally it's about 30 to 60 minutes uh, we try to keep it 30 minutes or less um, even with 23 people generally we go around the teams and so the executive starts first which is our coo and she'll kind of say hey here's what the team's working on here's where our focuses are this week okay production team what do you guys have and then their lead will we'll talk and then the tech team and then the customer service team so everybody gets a chance to let them know what's going on and we find that to be really beneficial especially as we're doing development because our, our, we've been doing a lot of development of internal tools right now. So as our web developers are building something, they could say, hey, customer support team, just so you know, this new feature is rolling out this week. You need to be aware of this because it may cause issues that people are going to email in for. So those kind of things and having that cross-team coordination is really what we use that meeting for. All right. So right now, you personally are not so much working from home as you are working remotely with your entire team. But you worked yeah. from home and you had team members come into your home for a while. Do you have any yes. advice for someone who might be working from home for the first time? Yeah. So if you're going to work from home, uh, I think there's you know two big things you need to consider, right? One is, is work from home right for you? Uh, because not everybody is meant for work from home. Um, I know this is a work from home podcast. So, yeah. um, you know, you, most of you probably self-selected to be work from home. Um, but if you're thinking about going work from home, you need to think about how you like to work and how you like to operate. And what I mean by that is there are some people who are completely happy being alone in a room all day, head down, just get the work done. And there's other people that need human interaction. Um, we have one person on our team and they were with us for maybe about six months and they were just a really friendly, outgoing person, but they were going crazy working from home because they had nobody else to communicate with all day, right? Because a lot of the people on their team were in the Philippines or in Egypt or you know whatever it was. And they're like, oh, well, it's daytime for me. Why isn't this person answering me when I try to chat with them while they're sleeping? It's 3 a.m. there, right? Mm -hmm. um, but just knowing your personality type and whether you get energy from being around people or being alone is important. Yeah. Because as we work from home, a lot of times we are, um, 
I don't know about you, but I get exhausted doing Skypes and Zooms all day long. And, and like a lot of times when you're working from home, you spend a lot of time in virtual meetings and it's just draining. Um, so I think that's important to know yourself. Um, kind of we talked about that earlier with cybersecurity as well, right? You have to know your own personality to pick the right job for you. And one of the things that you're picking in, in work from home is not just the job, but the atmosphere and the environment. Um, you know, I, I tend to be one of those people that I work really well by myself in a room, like lock the door, leave me alone. I'm good. Um, but I know other people that just drive them crazy. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that are like that end up having to work in like the co-working spaces, Yes, like a shared office, even though it's not your office, it's a shared office with other people. So you have the human interaction or coffee shops. Some people just go to be around people, even though they're not interacting. Yes, exactly. Right. And and some people like, you know, are very checklist oriented. And so you can have your checklist and say, these are the things I'm going to get done today as I work from home. And you'll be very successful. If you are one of those people that's kind of need to be around other people for collaboration. And there are some things that you're working on that it's, it's really easier if you can get people together uh, in the same room. Um, Even Zoom is not a replacement for a conference room sometimes, you know, and and so those are kind of the different things that you got to think about. Um, And then I think the other thing is when you're deciding to work from home is, uh, if you're going to work from home, try to dedicate yourself a space in your house that you can shut the door and make yourself working hours. Because one of the biggest um, the biggest challenges I find with work from home is getting is actually going to work sometimes, right? There's times where I will work a 16-hour day, and there's other times where I'm like, man, do I really have to go and do something for an hour? I just don't want to, right? And because you have the flexibility when you work from home, you kind of have to put some self-imposed boundaries in so that you won't end up working 16 hours every day and ignoring your family. Uh, but conversely, you don't want to also work an hour a day and ignore your job. Uh, and so you got to kind of feel that out. And, and I think it also depends on what kind of work from home job you are. For us, we don't track hours. So for us, we're everybody is salary based. We we work on production. So we know that, you know, this week you should be able to edit, you know, I don't know, 40 videos, for instance. Um, and if you only did 10 videos, I'll be like, hey, why did you only do 10 videos? And it may be that something came up, you had to go to the doctor, whatever it was. Um but we don't like sit there and count like your hours. Like, okay, you worked for three hours and 23 minutes today. Oh no, bag you. Um, we care more about, did you finish the thing that we wanted you to finish? Um, and sometimes people finish in two hours. Sometimes they'll finish in, you know, 10 hours, right? Sometimes there's high production, low production. And it, it all ends up in the end. At the, it all washes out the end kind of equally. <laughs> right. Anything else? Any final thoughts about uh, work from home that we haven't already hit on? Um, the other thing I, I would recommend is if you're going to work from home, especially as you start doing, if you're running your own business, um, I would get a dedicated computer for your office, uh, for your, your work and one for your play, um, by keeping those separate. Uh, again, this is kind of the, the personal kind of keeping yourself bifurcated between yourself, but also it helps secure things because if you're only doing work things on a work computer, you're less likely to get viruses, bugs, and, and phishing emails and all the other stuff. Because if you're sitting there and scrolling on, I don't know, TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, you could be bringing in bad things into your system. And so I, I like to keep my personal stuff away from my work stuff and keep those on. If you if you can't afford two separate computers, at least have two separate accounts. So I have like a Jason account and a Jason work account. And that way, mm-hmm. all your work bookmarks are set up in one place, all your play bookmarks are in the other place. And it keeps things separate that way. And it gives you Pers- uh, privacy as well. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it keeps those things separate, right? Especially if you're working on a, um, you know, for a company and they issue you a laptop. Um, remember the company can see what you're doing on that laptop. So you shouldn't do anything personal on it because somebody could be watching it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Jason, 
I appreciate hanging out and I wish we could talk a little bit longer, but I want to give you a few minutes to give um, information about how people can find your program and you, especially the, the mastermind type thing that you're doing. And um, yeah, just, I know we mentioned where we can find your Udemy, but why don't we try to figure out where you would find your cyber path? Yeah, definitely. So if you're interested in any of the certifications that we teach, you can always go to diontraining.com, D-I-O-N training.com. And we have all of our courses there that will help you be able to get certified to do these work from home positions. Um, if you're interested in the cybersecurity career path, if you're brand new to all of this, and you're like, what is he really talking about? What are all these different jobs? Uh, check out the Your Cyber Path podcast, which is yourcyberpath.com. Uh, and that is our podcast that talks all about uh, the cybersecurity career, how to get hired, how resumes work, how interviews work, how negotiations work, all that kind of stuff. And the mastermind program uh, is called Your Cyber Path Pro. That'll be opening up in January again. And you'll be able to find details for that at yourcyberpath.com once that opens up again. Uh, for right now, if you want to connect with us, if you go onto yourcyberpath.com on the front page, there is a place you can enter in your email. And we will send you an email once every two weeks when the new podcast episodes come out and tell you a little bit more about uh, cybersecurity and the things that you could be doing in that world. Um, and it's just a great career field to get into because it's not going anywhere. Uh, it's had a negative unemployment rate for about five years and it's continuing to be negative unemployment, which means everybody who wants a job has a job and there's still more jobs <laughs> um, wow. because there's just so much demand in the cybersecurity world that we can't hire people fast enough. So this is, I'm, I know we're trying to wrap it up, but <laughs> when I was working as a um, you know, medical transcriptionist with Mayo Clinic, people kept asking me, how can I get into work like yours? And I'm like, don't, it's a dying field. They are eliminating us. And they did. They like laid off and separation packaged, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And so obviously this would be a really good path for my old transcription friends to try to get into because they've got some of the, you know, technical skills and, you know, work from home skills. So just go ahead and get a few certifications and you're golden, right? And if you really love transcription, there's stuff to do in transcription work from home too. Uh, I know we use a company called Rev to do all of our uh, audio and video captioning for all of our courses. And mm -hmm. they basically just take our videos, chop them up into pieces, send them out to a, a whole team of Rev transcriptionists. They manually transcribe what I'm saying into the captions and then it comes back to us. Um, and so that's another work from home opportunity for those who really like to listen and type out what they're hearing. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that they chopped it up. That helps me understand how they get it back so fast. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So what they usually do is when you upload a video, they do the automatic captions first, and then the person just watches and corrects the automatic captions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how they're able to, to turn it around so quickly because the automatic captions are about 90, 95% accurate. Yeah. Anyway. So it does a really good job for you. <laughs> that's exactly what we were doing in the end at the transcription stuff. Cause we are, we were using voice recognition technology. It's just, we had to fix all the mistakes. Well, especially in technical fields, like we find that's a big problem for us because we talk about a lot of things like uh, I'll talk about HDMI, right? Like, hey, I have this HDMI TV and it operates at 1080p. And when they transcribed it, they said HTML instead of HDMI. And they said 10ADP, like the payroll company, not 1080p. Mm. 1080. Uh, so sometimes things like that that mess up because they're technical. And that's why you still need a live person to, to mm -hmm. fix some of these things. But instead of having 10 transcriptions, you can negative with one transcriptionist because the AI does most of the work for you. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I'm going to really quick speak to my listeners. If anybody yes. is interested in being a guest like Jason was today, I do have a form you can fill out. Just give me a few ideas about what you already are doing, how much you work, what do you like to do? What do you want to talk about? And do you have any interesting stories? Um, so go ahead and reach out to me at april at yesiworkfromhome.com. 
Uh, you can go to the website. Yes, I work from home.com and find all the podcast episodes, find the video, the audio. Uh, we've got show notes on them if you want to get a little preview of what we've done. I used to do transcripts <laughs> and it was just too much work. <laughs> so, Jason, thank you so much for being my guest today. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks, April. All right. This has been Jason Dion, Dion <laughs> with April Malone. And yes, I work from home and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.